the biggest two things are one grief which you would have this with the glory days you're grieving that loss that you aren't that athlete anymore um for tbi people they're grieving the, the, the death really of, of who they were but you have to move through the steps of grief to get to the last one which is acceptance because you're stuck in the grief until you get to the acceptance it's only through the acceptance that then you can grow and flourish and improve and thrive if you're holding on to it can be anything if you're holding on to always looking like you're 20 or if you're holding on to having the glory days as an athlete or if you're holding on to how you were before you got that cancer diagnosis you will never be able to move forward because you are clinging white knuckled to the past and that's where you will stay you will stay there and it will be miserable Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. If you've listened to this podcast before, then you know this world I speak of begins within you and me because it exists within us now. It is a world that is created through mindful shifts in our response to all that life throws our way, the triumphs and tragedies, joys and challenges, moments of ease and times of chaos. The waves of life are here to stay, but how we learn to surf them is where the difference is made. Our guest today is Connie Reet, and she has faced immense waves in her life which have called her to lean deeply into her meditation and mindful practices. And it is through experience as well as study that she has become the mindfulness coach, meditation teacher and professional optimist she is today. Connie has lived a diverse life spanning a 30-year career as a film and television actress to raising children as a single mom, full-time RV living and surviving a near-fatal car accident which left her with a traumatic brain injury and a massive mountain of healing to climb. Connie is dedicated to helping others find peace, health and happiness. She's a passionate minimalist and shares so many helpful videos on her YouTube channel and writings on her blog. I've really enjoyed my research leading up to this conversation and without a hint of agenda or pre-scripted questions. We're excited to experience how each moment of this conversation unfolds. Connie Reet, welcome to the show. Hi you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I I feel very touched and honored that you even reached out. So thank you very much. And it's just oh, we're so happy to have you. Um because you talk about all the things that we live and exude mindfulness minimalism um meditation the simple life and working through challenges uh we have no script we have no agenda for this conversation for this podcast so and we're okay with it so i'm curious like trusting the present moment how has that um <laughs> how has that uh evolved for you let's just jump right in um well it's evolved <laughs> <laughs> um your intro was was lovely. You really did a nice job of like kind of rounding out my life, which has been very adventurous. Um with some ups and some downs. And so, uh you know, being in the present moment of course uh, is key for mindfulness, but it's also uh has become my way of life because it's in the present moment that that is life. That is living and um i feel very fortunate that i've been able to 
travel abroad with my kids and travel in an RV. And I even feel fortunate that, um, that I was in a traumatic car accident, leaving me with a brain injury because it's really taught me uh, a lot about being in the present moment and um, a lot about compassion and empathy and the value of what a moment is in someone's life. Wow. And compassion and empathy for ourselves. Not so. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I see that um, brain injury is pretty much uh, 101 in self love Mm. because, um, you know, waking up in the hospital, um, I open my eyes and I. I have a new brain, so I have a new personality, and I had a lot of limitations. I struggled with walking. I have a lot of visual issues for a long, long time, many months. Um, and so coming to a place of, of surrender and acceptance, peace, and self-love, and definitely having compassion for uh the journey of healing and compassion for whatever my body is telling me that day. There's a little air of like a Ram Dass story here. And I don't know if you know Ram Dass's story, but, you know, part of his story and a big part of his story was, you know, he's this great spiritual teacher and he had this huge following and it was like, okay, I found my purpose. I'm living my Dharma. Like I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, like I'm full of joy. And then he has a stroke. And it changes everything. And there's a beautiful documentary called Fierce Grace, which is very much about um, this stroke and and his frustration and having to learn how to do all of these things again. But then, um, spoiler alert, like towards the end, he, you know, he reveals that, you know, it wasn't, he hadn't, it wasn't the person he was before that was the person he was supposed to be or that the awakening that he, you know, had already achieved. It was the awakening and the person that he became after the stroke that really allowed him to step into the teacher that he came here to be. Yes. Yes, that's um, very much so. I, I feel that way. And and I hope that I am living up to, to that um, for myself and for others that I get to support and be there for. Um, you know, I, I, I was bedridden for many months and so I had a lot of time to meditate. (laughs) Um, and I would meditate and meditate and I would always kind of send out a little prayer at the end, uh, to universe just saying, help me embody what I need to, so that I can serve others through this experience. Um, because I felt like if I could take this hardship and grow deeper in my spiritual practice, but grow as a human being so that I have a way to connect with others, whether they have a brain injury or not, um, then, then it's okay. You know, it's, I think that that's, it's a gift. I think it's a gift to have, um, 
your life kind of stripped away and start fresh. I call it my baby brain because it's a, it's a new brain. It's new to me. Um, and so learning all kind of the, the nuances of my new brain and my new personality and, and uh, seeing the world through a whole different lens than I ever could imagine. And even my thought process is very different. How I, how I compute things, how I relate to people is completely different. So yeah, my baby brain and I, it's, you know, you, you know, I don't take myself too seriously, of course, because <laughs> I make a lot of blunders and goofs and that's just what it is because I have a brain injury and that's how it goes. But it's, it's humbling is not a strong enough word, I think, <laughs> for brain injury. How long have you been living this new, new version of yourself, this new baby brain? My new baby brain? Um, I'm new to brain injury. I, it was two years, actually, August 10th, 2020. So this is, this is so, still pretty this fresh, is fresh yeah. like still stepping yeah. into what this possibility of who you're still going to become, right, in, in this life. Yes. Wow. Yeah. All really, right. really to it. And I know you've been practicing yoga and meditation for a long time. I read 1998 is when you, when you really began. So let's, let's go there. And maybe even before that, like what, where did you grow up? Like, tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to stepping on the mat and getting still in meditation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm an old school yogi. <laughs> I've like before there was even like uh, certifications or any of that. Lululemon, um, and so <laughs> way before Lululemon, way before all of the gurus. Um, so or all the the present day gurus, I should say. So yeah, I was a young mom, um, very young. I had my first child when I was 19, and. Um, <clears throat> I, when I grew up, I always loved, I grew up in the mountains of Utah. And so I have always loved nature, really connected with nature. Um, it's always kind of like my, my solitude. And um, I always loved moving my body and being active. And I, I was, I don't know how to put it other than I was in a very unhappy marriage <laughs> And so I was looking for some peace and um, just looking for some quiet and some peace and to be able to move my body and just feel good, really. So I think we're all, we all just want to feel good at the end of the day. And so I was, you know, uh, I actually went to a gym, wasn't even a yoga studio and started at gym yoga and I took one class and was like it was so hard and I was I mean I'm I was physically fit and it was so hard <laughs> oh my gosh how are they making it look so easy this is so hard but I was instantly hooked and I just gravitated toward it and I just loved it I loved everything about it I loved how my body felt. I loved how my mind got still and quiet. I loved the connection with the other yogis in the room. Like uh, I loved walking out of the, out of there, feeling more at peace and more whole than when I walked in. And 
So yeah, I was instantly hooked. And then I started like looking up all the yoga studios I could find and just anywhere I could go to take, I would take. I, I wasn't really particular. I didn't know the differences between the different styles. Um, I was just diving into anything, any class I could go to, I would go. And so that's kind of how I started. Yeah, it was 1998. And it was actually after the birth of my second child. Um, and then the woman who actually taught my first class, we became friends. And she's like, I think you would be a great teacher. And I kind of laughed because I'm like, uh, not really. I don't, <laughs> probably not, you know. And she's like, no, no, just, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing like a little teacher training thing. Again, this was way before like certifications were happening. And I was like, okay, yeah, I would do that because I'm just like, I love all of it. So I just wanted to gobble it all up. So, um, I did hers and she, and I worked with a uh, Baron Baptiste who was who she trained under. So I guess originally I was in power yoga and then the studio I was taking from, um, was Ashtanga. And then I fell into Anyasara and that is when certifications were kind of coming out. So I got certified in Anyasara but I had already been teaching for like 12 years at that point. Um, so a really long time. And so I'm not a purist when it comes to different styles of yoga. I, I kind of like hop around and do this and that and a little of everything. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of my yoga journey and, and, um, you know, it has helped me find peace, find solitude, myself um it's helped me heal from back injuries back injury brain injury uh bounce back from pregnancies um yeah it keeps as as i've done it for so long you know i'm i'm not young so i'm older now I've got all my silver hair and everything um and you know because i've done a steady practice my whole life since i was in my early 20s um I feel like I'm really strong and agile and pain-free, which a lot of uh, older people can't really say that because um, pain usually comes with age. So I find that yoga has given me so much in return. It's so much. So even, you know, when I was recovering from my car accident, I would do everything I could in bed. You know, draw a knee into the chest, draw the other knee into the chest, maybe a little gentle twist, you know, like just the, the tiniest things. Then when I could sit up and I was reaching my arms above my head and then I would just move with my breath, inhale, reach up, exhale down, inhale up, exhale down. And um, just as much as I could do every day, even, even in bed. So, yeah, love the yoga. <laughs> did, did you move from a focus originally of the physical practice to a more breathing mindful practice as your yoga, as your yoga developed, or were you just, was it just all encompassing? You just loved everything about it. I really loved everything about it. Um, I started getting more into the mindfulness aspect and more into the meditation, probably about hmm, maybe four or five years into my yoga practice. 
Um, and then it's just like another layer, you know, where you're like, oh my gosh, it gets better. <laughs> Holy cow. There's like this whole other thing called meditation. And then I just got really into my meditation practice. So, um, yeah, it, diff- it, it started as yes, to find like, uh, an emotional peace, but also, I love moving my body. So I, I love the, the thing I love about yoga is that it's, it's all of it. It's the mind body connection. And when you really tune into your breath, it's like everything else disappears. So for me, my yoga practice now is, is like a meditation. It's a moving meditation, you know, connected to my breath. Um, and I have to really tune into my body now because of all my, elements um and so really tuning into my breath to my body to my spirit um every day on the mat so yeah it's my sanctuary Mm. uh our teacher that we trained with also trained under baron baptiste so very familiar with that first um sequence of yoga that you were introduced to us to Mm. um early on really loved it and, um, and what our teacher did, he trained with Baron for a long time. And then what he did was like really took his principles and, and then said, how far can I go with these principles? So like silence and space, um, breath, like just calling the breath, not a lot of instruction on, you know, the foot needs to be at this angle or that angle and, and allowing really em- empowering students by seeing them as capable of finding it, even if there's a little struggle there, you know, just... And I think that that's what yoga does for us is it, it will allow us to struggle. It will, it will allow us to figure out on our own. And I remember I heard this quote once and I never quite knew who to attribute it to, but that yoga is a practice of, of discovering yourself in a state of freedom. Mm-hmm. That when, when yeah. we strip it all down to just breath mm. and movement and a mat, the noise you know, the, the external noise goes away. We get to now start to hear what the internal noise is all about. And then there's like this deceleration. If you can stay with that, I don't know how busy your mind was, but mine was very, very busy, very, very critical. But if you can stay with that, there's like, I used to have this uh, image of like a tornado really rolling and then kind of coming to a stop and starting to move the other way and decelerating. And I, I felt like that was my internal rhythm that started to slow, where you can really begin to drop in and experience that state of freedom, for sure. Um, so, but before you were a yogi, uh, you were an actress. You were yes. acting from a young age, seven? Yeah, I was a child actor. Um, I know it sounds like I've had a million lives. I feel like I've had a million lives, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was a child actor. Um, I started in theater and then I started doing film and commercials when I was 14. Um, and I did that. Uh, I was working actress all the way up until we, uh, started traveling. So up until about 10 years ago. So until I was about, uh, maybe about 40 is when I stopped acting. It's a little hard to act when you're traveling. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, so in my research, of course, you got to go down the rabbit hole. So then I was like watching like the trailers of the movies you were in and, and there's like this, so you're in this movie that they call the best worst movie ever made, which was Troll 2. And there is a scene that they say is like one of these classic scenes. I think you may know what I'm talking about, this dance scene that you do um, in Troll 2. But it was just so fun to, because I had been reading your website and listening to some of your videos on YouTube, like, oh, I love this lady. Like, so, And then to see this whole other version of you, um, and you can very much see that it's you, this younger version of you. But so now you're doing these things kind of simultaneously, right? Like how did the yoga and the meditation begin to inform the acting or did it? Um, no, it absolutely did. Um, acting is all about just um, also tuning in and letting go. So not being afraid, you know, acting. If, if you're really into your, your role, then you surrender completely to that character and you really trust that it's going to be fine. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Like my yoga practice and meditation practice, more so my meditation practice helped me, um, trust myself, um, to drop the ego, you know, cause you have to be able to kind of make a fool of yourself as an actor. <laughs> It's good. Can't take yourself that seriously. Um, and so I, yeah, I think it definitely helped my meditation practice definitely helped me to, to, uh, just be more authentic and more real, um, in my acting and calm because it can get pretty stressful, you know, like Disney and, and Hallmark and like get bigger productions are run very tightly and you don't want to be the one that screws up. So uh, it can be a little stressful. Um, and so it really helped me to calm my nerves like before a big scene or, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. How, let's, let's go into that just a, a little more, a one layer deeper. How, how would you get calm? Like, so when the energy rises up and that swirly sensations inside and you've done the meditation, but now you're in it, like you're in front of the camera. How do you, is there anything you do to, to get calm or to, to, to become calm? Yeah, it's the, same, it's the same thing I do now, actually, uh, which is I connect to my breath. I just connect to my breath, you know, breathing in for a count of four, exhale a count of four, breathing in a count of four, exhale a count of four. Like, it's the, honestly, breath, how magical is breath? Like, seriously, like you, because I, I teach meditation and mindfulness to other uh, brain injury survivors. And, um, sometimes a concept is hard to get when you have a brain injury. And so the easiest way that I can get any of my clients to calm the mind and to find peace is hand on the heart, breathing in, count of four, exhale, let it go, count of four. And it's within two to three breaths and everyone's right there, you know? And so for me, um, whether it was acting or whether it's my own meditation practice or, or coaching meditation or dealing with 
migraines from migraine injury or whatever it is. It's my breath that is, is like my center, my center point. So that's, that's how I do it. But I know that everyone has like their own methods and and ways, but mine's pretty simple. (laughs) Well, I think it works. works. Yeah, it works. And it's the perfect tool. I think breath is the perfect tool. And whether you're working with a brain injury, whether you're working with a sprained ankle, whether you're working through a divorce, whether you're working through a promotion, whether you're an actress, whether you're in front of the camera, behind the camera, it's all, the tool is the same. Like you can apply it to anything. It doesn't discriminate. It's, it's there. It's always there. It's always happening in the present moment. So it'll immediately get you into the present moment. And then also when we do breaths like that, when we begin to control the breath, we slow the breath down. And we know like there's some really amazing physiological benefits that happen because we slow the breath down. We were just recently talking to our teacher about this. Like turtles live forever. They breathe like three times a minute. Dogs don't live as long. They breathe really fast. And so as we breathe, as we slow our breath down, it positively affects like our DNA, but also allows our body, I'm thinking about this with with brain injury, like it allows our body to absorb more oxygen, which I'm thinking is extremely helpful for uh, connectivity in the brain. Yeah, and it calms the nervous system as well. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So with with a brain injury, um, a really big thing is that our our minds don't take in everything, all the information, or they can't sort it. So our brains get overloaded, like too much stimulus. Um, And so that means if you go to the grocery store, it's too much. <laughs> Grocery stores are horrible. Anyways, but, um, and so little things like that, I'm just going to breathe as I'm walking through the grocery store because I got to get through the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like like trying to calm the nervous system because it's over um, reactive and it's, and it's pretty much panicking um, with all the information. So that's a, uh, the breath work is a great way to just to calm and to center and get grounded. Um, so yeah. So with brain injury, this question's just coming in for me, like with brain injury, it, it, that seems a little, that seems broad. Like, are there different, is, is a brain injury, brain injury, or are there different, there's different areas like, and was one specific area for Mm -hmm. you, um, you know, more damaged than others or injured than, than others? Um, and I, I do want to say that there was incredible grace with you that day, as I read, um, I stumbled upon the blog, uh, not the blog, the Facebook post that you posted and it had a picture of your car. And the only part of the car that was untouched was the seat you were sitting in. I mean, the car was yeah. completely like demolished. I mean, incredible grace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Um, don't let me forget that we're talking about sections of the brain that get injured because I might forget it. Okay. I get but um, just remind me. Um, so, yeah, so the story of how I got my, my brain injury was I was, and I'm told this because I had lost consciousness for a long time, but I was in the left turning lane. I was in a Prius, cute little Prius, um, and just 
waiting to turn left and a construction truck doing 65 got distracted and swerved into my lane and ran over my car. And you're right, all the seats were totally demolished and the truck's bumper was pressed up against the back of my seat. Um, and the velocity of my head going forward and back hit the headrest and my head split open. That's kind of gross, but um, so they thought that I probably wouldn't live to the hospital. And they thought for sure I was paralyzed, which I'm, I'm neither. Since we're on a podcast, you guys can't see me. <laughs> I'm not paralyzed. Um, and, and so, yeah, because I hit, um, uh, the, the, where my head opened was, was in the back and that's where your visual cortex is. And so that's the most damaged part of my brain. So I, because of that, um, my brain doesn't talk to my eyeballs. And so I have slight paralysis in my left eye. So it doesn't move like the right eye does, um, which makes like reading difficult. And of course I can't drive a car and things like that. And lost peripheral vision, things like that. But yeah, every, every brain injury is completely different. There's common threads that everyone kind of has. Um, but each one will be different depending on you're exactly right where, what part of their brain was most affected, um, how old they were when it happened, if they had had other um, concussions or brain injuries, like all these kind of come into play. And there's kind of a spectrum with brain injury. You have one side, which is me, I'm able-bodied. Um, and then you have the other side of the spectrum where um, many times they're, you know, they don't have, uh, they're not able-bodied, they really struggle with speech um, and they can't take care of themselves. And so, and everywhere in between. So um, it really does depend. But people who got damage on the side of their head usually struggle more with speech. Um, but everyone's, everyone's very, very different. Very different. Have you heard of the organization Love Your Brain? Yes. Do you do you work with them at all? <laughs> I have had one of their one of their programs. You have to sign up for like a six yeah. week six week now, yeah, um, program with them. And so I I did sign up with them to to test it out. It's very it's it's great. It's a great program. And I, the name of the, the man who started it is escaping right now, but he's that snowboarder. Yes. It happened when we were living in Colorado, as a matter of fact, and that's where, that's where they're from. But there's a studio here in, in Carlsbad that um, it's not here anymore, but they used to, they had the Love Your Brain class and I've been to it a couple of times and it's, it's just, it's amazing and it's touching and it's intense and um and it's funny and it's, you know, we used to have all of the emotions. I wasn't teaching it, but I would go in and facilitate as I was, um, as they were considering doing like, you know, a training there, et cetera. Uh, but really amazing organization talking about, you know, somebody who took this and created, created much good, which is exactly what you're doing, allowed you to uh, really assist people because you've lived it. And isn't that, isn't yeah. that yoga? Yoga is we can we can sit here and we can talk about yoga all day like you want to quote 
stuff. Like we can talk about, but it's experience is the yoga. It's, it happens on a cellular, the change happens on a cellular level. Like we have to experience it. And so, yeah, I mean, these, you've, you've called it a gift before. It doesn't seem like a gift, but all, all does, I believe, you know, it's not all good. You know, I wish you didn't have to go through that, but it's resolving to good. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's the, to say perspective is, is kind of not the word I'm looking for, but, um, but it is, it's perspective. Um, the reason I, I, I really got into my mindfulness after my injury was because, and why I started helping other people, um, because depression comes, uh, is really severe with brain injury because your brain doesn't make the happy things anymore. Um, the synapse connection is broken and things like this. And so, so you don't get those, the happy chemical in the brain and, um, that on top of your life is completely different. You are completely different. You have a, a different brain and, and, um, and so you've, you've lost a previous life. So I call myself like Connie 1.0 was who I was before my accident and Connie 2.0 was this version. Um, and, you know, it was, it was several months after my accident and I was extremely depressed. I was suicidal. Um, and I was in the kitchen with my husband just crying, sobbing. And I said to him, I hate who I am. And it had nothing to do with my injury. I hated who I had become because I'd become a victim. And I felt really sorry for myself. And I was really jealous of really anyone walking down the street because I wasn't walking very well at that point. Um, so I, I was really angry, like just why me kind of thing, you know, um, and really afraid of what my life was going to be. And it was kind of this aha moment because I had practiced, I've been teaching mindfulness for decades so and practiced it. And so I knew that the only way I could be happy was through me that my husband could love me to pieces and could care for me, but he could not make me happy. And my neurologist could give me all the drugs, <laughs> but that wasn't going to make me happy either. Um, and so really, regardless of how much my brain would heal or not, didn't matter if I was miserable. So, it was that point that I really honed in on all of my mindfulness skills, like everything I could remember. I started practicing. Um, my husband was downloading books like crazy. Um, so I was listening to a lot of um, Joe Dispenza, um, just Esther Hicks. Like I was just everything. I was just trying to consume everything I could to get myself out of these suicidal thoughts and into a better feeling place. Um, 
And so I just started all of these little tiny techniques, like, um, you know, whenever you have like a traumatic event in your life, people always say the same thing. They go, Oh my gosh, are you so grateful to be alive? And no, <laughs> like <laughs> that was not the word I would use. I would not use the word grateful. You know, like it was really, it, it's really hard. And, and so to be grateful for life is so big. It was unattainable. It was too, it was too big. And anyone who's ever been super down, super dark places, horrible events in their life, divorce, which I've gone through that. It, it's horrible to, to then expect them to just ah, open your arms and be grateful that day. It's not, you can't, you can't get there because you're so far down here. You can't get that high. So what I started doing was focusing on things that just made me smile so my husband would bring in this big cup of coffee every morning when I was in bed, bedridden. And I remember holding the cup of coffee and thinking, oh, my God, I love this coffee so much. <laughs> I love the taste. I love the smell. I just love this cup of coffee. It makes me smile. And then I would look at my husband and be like, oh, my God, I adore my husband. I adore the way he looks at me. I adore how his arms feel around me and holds me. And it would just trickle. I would, you know, my daughter would come and sit on the bed with me and eat dinner. And she'd always, she's really funny. So she was always cracking jokes. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, her jokes are so funny. Like she should be a stand-up comedian. She's so funny. Um, and so it was these little tiny drops of joy and just being aware to collect these little drops of joy that then I started to get into a better feeling place and just build on that and build on that. And so that is really the bulk of how I teach my mindfulness is don't go big, go super small. And you're not looking to like change the world in a day. You're just looking for a better feeling, just a, a little bit better, you know, that's it. Baby step your way there. Yeah. yeah, I and I think I think people can really relate to what you're saying here. I know that some of our listeners have really experienced this really heavy depths of depression. Um, I know some of the athletes I work with have also experienced that, and I totally agree. You can't like, depression is so heavy and it's so low. But there's nothing that your husband's going to do to lift your energy sustainably. M maybe for an instant, maybe. <laughs> but you have to get your energy back up. You have to lift that energy. But to go from depressive energy to happy, too big of a jump. It's way too big of a jump. And you don't have to go there. You. This isn't about, this is why like positive talk, if if you're not ready for it, if you're not in, like, your energy isn't high enough to really receive the effects of it, it's not going to work. And in fact, it may even work against you because it's like, I should, I keep saying all these positive things, but it's not happening. And it could really create frustration. 
But I always say like, you can go to calm. We can always go to calm. We can always go to, we can always lean into that breath that will soothe the nervous system. And then from there, we can feel the cup of coffee. We can smell it. We can say, okay, yeah, I do. I like this. And then we start to get into those those more better, better feeling is you mentioned Abraham Hicks. And she always says like, just whatever the next best feeling it is. And she'll even say, you know, if you're depressed, like maybe it's anger. Cause that's, that's even a higher vibration than depressive energy, but that's beautiful. The way that you described it and you describe it so well, because you lived it because you did it. You did it. And it is, yeah. it's a million little things. It's a, it's a million little things that all <laughs> count because you can't skip. I've learned this. You can't skip a step. You can't skip any steps on this path. Like you, that's why you can't go from depression. Yeah. You yeah. can't, it's too, too big much, a jump. too big of a jump. Got to have those many small yeah. wins, many, many small wins. Michael Phelps, I'm sure you've heard of, of him, the swimmer. He was all about the yeah. many small, many small wins, as many small wins as you can. At, at twenty-five across the pool in a set of like ten thousand yards, if you can just many small wins every day, gives the feeling that you're making progress, even if you're not necessarily making progress according to the terms of data and information. So, yeah, we love the yeah. zooming in on those fine, fine details. Yeah, and you know, you said you said when people just talk positive and and how it doesn't work when you're really low. It's because your mind calls bullshit. <laughs> you know, if you're feeling low, you're like, the world's great today. Your mind goes, Mm-mm, bullshit. Like it knows you can't trick it. So, so then that's the pushback. Right. And, and so when, when you're trying to fool it or trick it into something, it's not going to work. Um, so yeah, it's those, it's those little wins. Um, my daughter, you might have seen this or not, but my my second child, my daughter, is a professional ballerina in Europe. And so I have an athlete. I'm not an athlete, but I gave birth to one. So, <laughs> but, um, so I'm very familiar with like an athlete's perspective on how they execute their training, how they um, manifest, you know, coming out where they wanted to at the end of the race or the performance or the audition or whatever it is. Um, and it is, it is all of those little wins that, that keep you there because you're, you're not, you know, like I'm sure you guys just didn't go out and, Oh, I'm just going to run 26 miles today. You know, it's all of the little tiny, tiny increments and just building and building and building and building. And, and it, it's the same for all of us. You know, whether it's building and building to have a stronger relationship with with our spouse or building and building to become a happier, healthier person. Um, It's all the little things that that add up, that shape you. Yeah. I I would imagine the people that you work with, um, with the mindfulness who've had injury, there's this you sort of touched upon it, but this attachment to who they were before. So this, this is who I was. And, and we see it with our, the reason I bring it up is because we see it with our athletes. Like we call it in another sense, the glory days. Like I used to be able to run a 10 K when I was 25. Do you, is this one of the biggest hurdles is, is to work with them on, on detachment and accept, accepting <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. So everything with TBI is is everything with everyone else. It's just a little bit more extreme. Um, but yeah, for sure. The biggest, the biggest two things are one grief, which you would have this with the glory days. You're grieving that loss mm. that you aren't that athlete anymore. Um, for TBI people, they're grieving the, the death really of, of who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to move through the steps of grief to get to the last one, which is acceptance because you're stuck in the grief until you get to the acceptance. It's only through the acceptance that then you can grow and flourish and improve and thrive. If you're holding on to, it can be anything. If you're holding on to always looking like you're 20 or if you're holding on to, you know, look at having the glory days as an athlete, or if you're holding on to how you were before you got that cancer diagnosis, you, you will never be able to move forward because you are clinging white knuckled to the past. And that's where you will stay. You will stay there and it will be miserable. So yes, that is, yeah, that is the hardest. The hardest one is moving through the grief to get to the acceptance. I've never looked at it that way. And I think it's a beautiful way to explain it. So let's, let's take it to like an athlete's perspective. Like I used to be able to do this when I was running marathons, I could run this and that kind of frustration or, or, um, unacceptance. I mean, I think they're very clear that I think it's very clear that there's an unacceptance there of where they are now, but I've never heard it posed as like grief, like, and, and perhaps if, if we can help them grieve that loss, right? They always say the cost of your new life is your old life. And I know that on the path of yoga and meditation, as I continue to evolve and see habits and behaviors and judgments and things that used to be very commonplace fall away. And some things I want to hang on to because I liked, I don't know, those were kind of fun, but they're going to fall away anyway. And I have to, I have to let them go. I have to grieve, I have to grieve their loss, but I love that. It's, it's, um, it's this recognition that they're actually, if they just keep clinging, they're never going to move. But if we can, if we can, phrase it or form it in a way where it, it's a, they're actually just grieving that loss and it's okay. And we have to have that process. Yeah. It's, you know, it's honor. It's not kicking the human to the curb. It's like, we got to honor this, this human that we are too. Cause oh, ask the human like asks so much um, and grieving that loss so that we can step into that next version of ourself that's just waiting, just patiently, patiently waiting for us to step into it and become, I think, even better than before because it's all about evolution and and better may unfold in a way that you don't necessarily know better to be at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, none of us, I used to say this before, but now I really, really know what it means None of us know uh, what the day will bring. None of us know our future. I had no idea that I would get a new baby brain. Like, I didn't know that. Um, None of us can prepare for it. But 
there is a constant and the constant in life is the change. And so whatever someone's holding on to, they get stuck in it, you know, and it sucks them in and it sucks them down. And they're, pre- they're preventing themselves from growing and developing and yeah, turning into something beautiful that they may not even know. They have no idea what's coming for them. None of us do. Um, and so, and again, it goes for everyone, whether it's like some people get stuck in the glory days of high school where they were like at the top, you know, their senior year, and then they feel like they've gone downhill every day since. But, you know, like there comes a point where you just have to accept it and go, look, I'm not going to get that back. Not going to be 18 football star anymore. Like, you know, and all of us age, we all age. And uh, especially being athletes like you guys, I'm sure that you're like, oh my gosh, I could do that so easy 20 years ago, but now I feel it because <laughs> we're older, um, you know, and like, why is it that? Why, is it, why can't I feel like I did 20 years ago? And, you know, all the things that we fight with and argue about with ourselves um, to keep ourselves stuck really interesting like the dynamics of of the way we think you know if we could just accept it then we could move on and be better and be at least happier so yeah Isn't, for sure and there's that tactic uh, you just touched upon it but the why like if we the tactic of delay almost where we're just like well i just need to figure out why first and once i figure out why then i can move myself forward and and i want to get your take on going down that rabbit hole of of figuring out why things happen or why stuff happens versus focusing, shifting focus to what are the possibilities ahead and moving forward? I think part of it has to do with the way that we, we label everything. Um, We love to label things. (laughs) We love to label it good or bad or, you know, cute or ugly or we label everything and we label ourselves too. And so I think that we, we label ourselves and we put ourselves in like a box of how we think we are, regardless of anyone else's thoughts about us. And so I think when something happens, whether it's a natural progression of age or whatever, and it breaks that box open, I think people get really scared. I think they just get really afraid and go, wait, no, wait, I know what this is. I know what I'm supposed to do and look like and be in this box. But if you take me out of that box, I'm naked and I'm vulnerable. And none of us like to be vulnerable. And I don't know where I'm going. And none of us like to feel like we don't know where we're going. Um, And it's not, you know, our society is so built on being the best being the fastest, knowing where you're going, being driven, be successful, be fast, be multitasking, all these things, right? To It doesn't really celebrate the people who are like, I'm good just sitting on a rock. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, doesn't really celebrate the people who go, gosh, I don't have a clue what I'm going to do next. And that's cool. They, our society does not celebrate that. Um, 
And so I think people just get really afraid. And so then they, they dig a, even harder um, to what's familiar. And a lot of times what is familiar is not the best thing for us. Um, like if you, if you take marriages that are unhealthy, a lot of times the couples will stay married because they know what that looks like, even though it's not a good marriage it's still comfortable to them because they know what it is versus if they leave that spouse and go into the unknown, which they might find love or they might not. That's far scarier than staying in the dysfunctional toxic relationship that they know. So I think, I think it's fear. Mm. That's, yeah. that's oh. the conditioning. I, 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 that's the conditioning. Like where your example just it just demonstrates the possibilities are our lack, you know, it isn't going to work out or I'm not going to find somebody versus what are the possibilities? What it, like, let's get, let's live life. Like you talked about in the beginning, let's live life and explore and see what is around that, that corner. Yeah. Cause that's the thing when, you know, when I get a lot of clients who push back on the, you know, my life is horrible. It's always going to be horrible. I'm like, you don't know that. It could be awesome. What happens if it's awesome? Like, how come we're always expecting the worst? Like, how come the unknown is going to be scary? How come the unknown can't be magnificent? Um, it's uh, yeah, like we don't we don't know it's going to be bad. We just assume that if we don't know what it is, that it it could be bad. Or so we lean toward that. Or if it's good, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I always tell people like, there's no other shoe. <laughs> There's no other shoe. There's there's not a shoe. It's it doesn't exist. Like unless we create it. There's mm-hmm. no other shoe. It's okay. It's okay to live the life that you desire and make the changes that feel right to you. And I as somebody who has followed many pulls from her heart, I can tell you that along the way I faced I have faced the worst of my fears. Like you don't it's not a, it's not, a, you don't get a free pass just because you're going to follow your heart, right? Like there was many, right. many obstacles and fears. And, but once you, you know, take a few steps closer to that fear and you really look at it and then you breathe and you really see the truth of a moment, mm-hmm. I was always fine in the face of all of those fears. Yeah. And even, you know, even if the other shoe does drop, Okay, now what? You know, like, like, yes, I have a brain injury. Yes, my life is different. Okay, now what? We established that, that happened. Let's move forward. You know, but it's the, like you said, like people get afraid where they're like, yeah, but I only did good on this race this one time. And what if I don't? you know, get that time the next time I go, you know, and so they're like psyching themselves up to lose or to do worse. But I like to play the game of, okay, well, let's, let's devil's advocate. Let's say that, yeah, that you're correct. And that happens. Okay. Now what? So are you just never going to race again? You know, or, you, or maybe that's fine. Like, it doesn't matter what the answer is. It's just, Thinking beyond it, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. Beyond it. Mm. Um, in this air of letting go, in these last few moments uh, of our chat today, I know that you, I've, I've read, I just actually read one of your recent um, interviews on the Simplify Daily, which was so great, and uh, read a great blog post on minimalism, like creating, you know, your wardrobe in a minimalistic way. But here's another place where there can be a lot of clinging, right? Like, oh, but my, you know, my, I made this ornament for the Christmas tree when I was in third grade and, and, um, you know, just these things that we hang on to. And, and, um, BJ and I went through a massive letting go where, I mean, we let go of everything, photos of our grandparents and nephews, you know, in the garbage, like really unacceptable things, which was a, probably a decade in the making all the million little things to get us to that point where it says, okay, let's put our whole life. And we've expanded since then, but we're still very, I like how you say like frugal with what we, what we bring into our lives. But this was like, you don't just go from zero to 60. Like for us, it was this massive progression. Um, and then when we, you know, we ended up putting our whole lives into a carry on suitcase, you know, and, and hit the road. And it was, yeah, exciting and scary and amazing. And, and, um, so when it comes to minimalism, because everybody, I feel like so many people know, like, yes, it would be so nice if I didn't have so many things, if I could walk through my garage or like I could get my hand in between the hangers in my closet. What are some of the first couple steps people can start this letting go process with material things? Great question. So um, we did that same thing, backpacked around the world. It was really fun. Uh, and yeah, and it's really liberating, super liberating. Um, I think we all become attached, whether it's, again, to the old identity or to a material item. Um, and a lot of times it is something like, maybe an heirloom from a family member or something like that, or maybe not, maybe it's just like a purse. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get attached to really weird things. Um, so, you know, I, I think that anyone who wants to declutter or become more minimalist with their material items, it's all mindfulness. It's just being aware and and asking yourself questions like, do I love this item? Do I need this item? Or does it improve my life? And um, as far as like things that people really get emotionally attached to, this is what I always say. If you are, are if you're like crying tears over your child's baby blanket, don't get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. There is no magic number of items any of us are supposed to own. There is no perfect way to be a minimalist. Um, it is all should be unique and customized for each person's lifestyle and what they view as valuable. Like my yoga mat is super valuable to me. I love my yoga mat, right? Someone else would may not even know what it is. <laughs> so it's not valuable to them at all. And so that's where I, 
I think that people who are becoming really attached to things, I think is the first step is self-inquiry. Why? Why am I attached to this item? What is, what is holding me to this item? Is it a memory? Is it a hope? Is it a die dream? What is it? So self-inquiry, being aware, being mindful of why you have things in your house, why you choose to buy them, and why you won't let some things go. Because it could be a lot deeper than just a purse. It could mean something really important to that person. So that's what, what each of us have to decide. Mm, and I think also like taking a look at things that maybe you're hanging on to out of obligation. Well, if I let this go and so-and-so found out, that would not be good. Or, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've faced it myself and, and worked mm-hmm. with people on this. Yeah, this, you know, I have to keep this china cabinet uh, because it was my grandmother's and, and, there's, and my sisters and brothers would be very upset if I let go of it. Um, yeah, can you, can you speak to just a little yeah. bit to like unwinding <laughs> from this obligatory clutter? Yeah, you have a tried deck cabinet that you're holding on to. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, yeah, that also comes into the into the self inquiry. Like to hold on to something for your own reasons is one thing, but to hold on to something because of someone else's reasons that's a that's a windy road. There, I mean, <laughs> there's no win in that. There is no win. Okay. If if you're holding on to something because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, my mother-in-law gave me this last Christmas. And if she doesn't see it on my Christmas tree this year, she's going to be furious. Um, I would probably take a look at that relationship and be like, is that the value of this relationship? The trinket that I need to show to them, that show them that... I appreciate them because if it's coming down to a trinket, then something's amiss. Either I'm not doing a good job of relaying to these people in my life that they mean something to me, that I care about them. And so then they feel like the only way they know I care about them is to put up the Christmas decoration every year. Then I'm failing, right? Um, and maybe it's not on me. Maybe it is on the mother-in-law. Who knows? Um, maybe that's her hang-up, but that's her hang-up, you know? So I, I, think it, I think it goes, again, it goes back to the, to the self-inquiry, you know? Why do I feel like I have to keep this for this other person? What's really going on here? Am I not doing a good job of relaying how important they are to me? Mm, I love that. And or is the relationship just surface. I don't know. Who knows, yeah. but. And breathing through that, like that's intense, right? We're, Cause now it's, it's not just the trinket. Like there's, there's like a, all kinds of things. Yeah. There's all, there's all kinds of things that are going along with that trinket. And, and we're saying, <laughs> Hey, belt. here's the trinket. But what we're saying is let's look at the roots that are anchoring this trinket into your life. And, 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 you know, there's, there, there's the mindful path right there and there's nothing to be afraid of going down that path. And, you know, if any, if I've learned one thing about meditation is that it's, it's me and me 
and it's revealed me to me. And sometimes I've seen things that I mm, don't like, but that allowed me to change those things and let those things go. And then it showed me really spectacular things about me that I never even knew. And it's just you and you, so it's safe to go there and just go with the breath. Just make sure the breath is with you and you'll be okay. You can get through anything with that. Yeah, and, you know, I love how you said it's me and me because if, if, if you're ever struggling with a really big decision or you don't know what to do with the trinket, whatever it is, um, you know, to just sit in silence, to pose the question and then just wait for the answer because the answer will come. Like our authentic spirit knows everything. It's our minds that get wrapped up in the nonsense that then start to doubt what our authentic spirit already knows. And so if we can just quiet the mind long enough to hear what the authentic spirit is whispering to us, then it, it takes all of this chaos and confusion away. It just makes everything really simple, super simple. You know, turn, turn off the brain, connect to the spirit, and, and trust, for heaven's sakes, like just trust, trust yourself. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's beautiful. I would say that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Connie. It was such a joy Thank to you. talk with you and meet and meet you and and hear about your story and and um, yeah, we're just really grateful for your time and I hope our paths cross again. How can um, how too. can people connect? Um, or get in touch with you or work with you, like uh, give us the... Yep, so everyone can just find me on my website, which is connireet.com. You can follow me on all social media platforms, Connie Reet. Um, So it's pretty easy. Um, Yeah, I'm here, I'm around. (laughs) Perfect, and I'll put, um, you guys have to go and check out her blog. She's got some great articles on there and I'll link to some of the faves that I read up on in preparation for this for this interview today so but thanks again have a fabulous rest of your day and um thank you thanks you guys have a beautiful day thank you